the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Thursday, February the 20th, 2020. That would be 02-20-2020. In the year of our Lord. Today, on February 20th, 1962, astronaut John Glenn became the first American to orbit the Earth. He flew aboard Project Mercury's Friendship 7 spaceship, circled the globe three times, Took him four hours and 55 minutes and 23 seconds. My wife can go around the... No, she doesn't drive that fast. He splashed down in the Atlantic Ocean about 800 miles southeast of Bermuda. It was a big day. I remember that very well. Today in 1792, President George Washington signed an act creating the United States Post Office Department. Um... Just, I've got several other things that I think you'll be interested in that happened on this date today. But um, did you hear that? I heard a part of a news story this morning. I think it was on either ABC Radio or CBS Radio. And it, it was just a few minutes ago. And I was headed into the studio to get ready to be here and say good morning to you. But they were talking about something on the news. And it was a network. They were talking about George Washington's false teeth. And, you know, the story was told, and it, it's, you know, been proven or it's been said to not be true, but the story was told for years that George Washington had wooden uh, false teeth, that they'd been carved for him and so on. Well, they were reporting this morning that um, the teeth are not actually wooden. I'd heard that before. But the false teeth of which they had a... Um, uh, they had, a, I guess, a pair of them or something at Mount Vernon. And they, they're now saying that th- uh, his false teeth were made from teeth that had been pulled from slaves' mouths. And so they had pulled the teeth out of slaves and made a set of teeth for George Washington. Boy, I don't know if, what George Washington did. I, I wasn't around back then, but um, I don't know. They just... Never seemed to quit. Anyway, today in 1809, the Supreme Court ruled that no state legislature could annul the judgments or determine the jurisdictions of federal courts. Today in 1862, William Wallace Lincoln, 11-year-old Billy Lincoln, uh, son of President Abraham Lincoln and Mary Todd Lincoln, he died in the White House. They thought it was typhoid fever, but they were never sure, but they were pretty sure typhoid fever but he he passed away today 11 years old broke the president's heart he talked about it the rest of his life which wasn't uh, terribly long after today in 1862 today in 1905 the u.s supreme court in jackson versus massachusetts upheld a compulsory vaccination law it was intended to protect the public's health and today in 1942 lieutenant edward butch o'hare he became the first U.S. Navy's first 
flying ace of World War II, shot down five Japanese bombers while defending the aircraft carrier USS Lexington in the South Pacific. O'Hare Airport in Chicago is named after Butch. Today in 1959, the FCC applied the equal time rule of newscasts of political candidates. Well, that's been set aside in the years that followed, but wouldn't it be interesting if they had... I guess they do cover Trump a lot. It's just all negative. But anyway, 1959, equal time rule, fairness. Today in 1971, the National Emergency Warning Center in Colorado... They erroneously ordered U.S. radio and TV stations off the air. Not all stations, but a lot of the stations heeded the alert. They were supposed to. They're licensed, of course. And they were supposed to do that. And they were off the air for 40 minutes. But it was a mistake. It was changing shifts or something of the people that run that that emergency network or were doing so at the time. And somebody was thought they were running a test, and they sent that message out that that radio stations and TV stations were supposed to go off the air immediately, like there was incoming rockets or something. Forty minutes is a long time for television and radio to be off the air, I'll tell you. Today in 2007, a victory for President George W. Bush, a divided federal appeals court ruled that Guantanamo Bay detainees could not use the U.S. court system to challenge their indefinite imprisonment. Well, they shouldn't be able to. They're not citizens of America. They're actually terrorists trying to kill Americans and destroy America. I noticed today that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has a birthday He's 78 years old. Happy birthday, Mitch. He seems to be very energetic, a lot more energetic lately than I've seen him in the past. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that's associated with his birthday or something. Boy, I'll tell you, last night, I I have not watched any of the Democrat debates, or I mean, other than just a few minutes of them, none of them at any length, until last night. I decided, well, Bloomberg was going to be on there, and so... My wife and I sat down on the couch and we turned it on and I, I told her, I said, well, let's watch it for about 15, 20 minutes and see how it's going to go. And then, you know, I don't care about it after that. Well, I kind of got drawn into it because they were doing what they always do, the Democrats. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that. They were debating really about who hates Trump the most. In fact, the Democratic debates are really debates about hate. They hate him. The president, and they're not—they're not timid about saying so. But the New York Post this morning has the a full cover picture of Mike Bloomberg, and and he's a picture of him with with tape like band aids on his face. He has a black eye. And it the, the headline says, Democratic debate turns nasty, black and bloom. And uh, it says then the subtitle on, the, on it is, Warren leads brutal Mike beatdown. So <laughs> that's the state of politics in America today, at least on the left. But uh, it was not it was not pretty, I, I can tell you. 
And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that today, not about Mike Bloomberg necessarily, but just about the whole idea of of hate and politics and all of this. I think I think there's some insights there that could be helpful to all of us who are conservative and Christian. I noticed the Washington Examiner came out with a story this morning, and they're talking about the fact that there are five states now um, wanting to uh, withdraw from the state they're in, or part, partial withdrawal from a part of the state, and join into another state or create a new state. And, of course, that caught my attention because I know there's some efforts along those lines here in Washington State, and it caught my mind. But it, interestingly enough, they didn't mention Washington State in the article, but they did mention other states that I wasn't aware of that it was actually even happening. But the article, I, I'm not going to read it all, but let me just bring you up to speed. Because some of you in Washington State are very involved in an effort to divide the state of Washington into a new state, the eastern, central and eastern part of it becoming a new state. But this article in the Washington Examiner says you've got Oregonians seeking to cascade into Idaho, Virginians who identify as West Virginians, Illinoisans fighting to escape Chicago, Californians dreaming of starting a 51st state, and New Yorkers who think three states are better than one. It says separation fever is sweeping the nation. But tenacious bands of frustrated rural dwellers, suburbanites, and conservatives seek to break free from states with legislatures increasingly controlled by liberal big cities and metropolitan strongholds. Oregon is controlled by the northwest portion of the state, Portland to Eugene. That's urban land. Their decisions are not really representing rural Oregon, said Mike McCarter, president of Move Oregon's Border for a Greater Idaho. They have an agenda, and they're moving forward with it, it, and they're not listening to us. In Virginia, the newly elected Democratic majority's progressive legislation on issues such as gun rights has spurred Vexit, or Virginia Exit, a campaign to merit right-tilting rural communities into neighboring West Virginia that organizers say has the potential to catch fire nationwide. And um, this guy, Rick Boyer, he's the uh, Vexit, Virginia Exit. He's the leader of that. He said, to be honest, if this works, you've got a lot of red areas in this country that are totally dominated by a blue uh, metropolis. And um, he said, if it works in Virginia, there's no reason it can't reshape the political map. And as I said, I I, I glanced all the way through the article. Well, it is mentioned. I take that back. I just saw this a few minutes ago before I came on the air. It is. Um, it goes on. It's right at the end where they mention Washington. There's no commentary about Washington State, but they include it in that. This uh, Senator Ebert Dirksen, and um, he's, he's kind of leading, I guess, kind of a, a group lead here. But he says that's what's happening, what, we, what I just read. He said that's what's happening with Illinois, California, Nevada, Washington, Oregon, and New York. So just as a point of encouragement, I know some of you who are involved in this in Washington state, listen to this program regularly, just don't grow weary and well-doing. It's a, it's a tough sell. It's really hard to do this, but you're not alone. And if that's any, any kind of comfort or encouragement, uh, I hope it is. 
uh, keep doing what you're doing because it is true. And there's a movement that way. I, if if the Democrats were able to abolish the uh, Electoral College, which many of them are trying to do, Pete Buttigieg, he talks about Jesus, the Bible, and the Electoral College every time he opens his mouth because that's what his message is. His message is that he's gay and and the Bible confirms that that's a good thing. God made him that way. He's told Mike, Vice President Mike Pence, that several times uh, publicly. But uh, but he talks about uh, getting rid of the Electoral College, and I think many of the Democrats want that as well because they realize that the stronghold, the liberal far-left stronghold in America is centered in the large cities. Seattle, for example, Portland, San Francisco, L.A. Now, L.A. used to tilt a little, at least moderate, if not a little bit conservative, but that has changed. And along the East Coast, you've got three or four cities. you got, you know, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, I, I guess. I think, yeah, Philadelphia and Miami and so on. But um, if they could if they could get rid of the the Electoral College, then there would be about five or six cities, maybe six, that would determine every national election, including, and most importantly, the presidential election. And the rest of America really wouldn't matter if it was strictly a popular vote. Our founding fathers saw that. I mean, they saw the, the, the possibility of that, and that's why they set up the Electoral College right from the get-go, the first election, George Washington. They handled it in, in that way, in, in that spirit. And so these guys that are wanting to get rid of this are doing so not because it's better for America, but only because they think they can push their pro- far-left progressive, so-called progressive agenda more quickly and further than they can with our votes, the rest of us, all across America, counting. And that's, you know, that I mean, that's what the bottom line on this. So there's a real effort to do this, and that's, of course, sparking a real effort of people to want to create a new state. And that hasn't happened. It's, I mean, it would be tough to do. I think, I think... The last one, and this this strictly from memory, quite some time ago, but it was around 1860 or somewhere in there, 63, something like that. I know somebody is checking me on their phone right now, but it's somewhere around in there. I think West Virginia is the last time that that has been successfully done, and I know it was in the 1800s. I think it was in the 1860s, but anyway, it's a tough deal, but it can be done. And so I encourage all of you who are working on such things, wherever you are, continue. Yours is a noble cause. Last night, the Democrats debated again. As I said, I started out, I was just going to watch a little bit of it. I ended up watching a great deal of it. Billionaire Bloomberg, he replaced billionaire Steyer on the stage. Steyer is upset. He's a billionaire as well. His whole thing is global warming. Bloomberg's whole thing is about getting elected and getting rid of Donald Trump. He said that two or three times. But boy, I'll tell you, he did not look well last night. I mean, he just didn't do well at all. I mean, $60 billion, I think that's his net worth, doesn't necessarily make a good politician or a good public speaker out of you. I, I, was, I thought he'd be better publicly 
He wasn't. It was awful. But there was a lot of hate. There was plenty of hate to go around, but hate cannot unite. And I think that's something that I hope we can take away from these few minutes this morning. Old country music star Charlie Daniels, he weighed in on Bloomberg as well. I want to share that with you. Anyway, I don't know if you like poetry or not. I, I kind of do. I grew up in a family of people. I, they, I mean, they're not poets published, but my grandmother wrote a lot of poetry, and she, I guess she probably had me reading it when I was young. I, I kind of enjoy it, um, some of it. But in Sonnet 43, which may not catch your attention, but it was, was written by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, but the words, the beginning words of that sonnet or that poem is pretty familiar. Her poem begins, Sonnet 43, begins with the words, How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Yeah, you've heard that before. What could be Sonnet 45 for Trump, the 45th president, it was played again in Las Vegas last night by Democrats who want to be president. They were relentless. How do I hate thee? Let me count the ways. That, of course, was dedicated to Trump. The Party of the People replaced a billionaire, Steyer, with billionaire Bloomberg on the stage. Otherwise, the cast remains the same. Nothing much changed. They were more energetic. They were more angry last night than I think they have been in the past. But it's mostly every time a contest to who, who, who hates Trump the most and that qualifies that person to be the nominee for the Democratic Party. The only the thing that I got the biggest smile out of didn't happen on stage last night, but it happened, let's say, backstage a couple of days ago. A few days ago when a recording of Bloomberg came up and it got into the news, and much to his chagrin, I'm sure, but it, it's Mike Bloomberg, the billionaire, multi, multi, multi-billionaire. He's talking about various classes of people in, in America. And he gets on this thing about farmers. And he's describing farmers as people who dig a hole, put a seed in it, cover it up. And that's what it takes to be a farmer. Well, that that's what he thinks. A lot of people heard that. I heard it. I mentioned it the other day on the radio. Well, Charlie Daniels, you know Charlie Daniels, the rock country western guy? He's really a committed Christian, by the way. I I, I know a lot about Charlie. And so anyway, he, he really loves the Lord. And, and he's very good. He's probably the best fiddle player that ever lived. But anyway, he, he doesn't like Bloomberg in the first place. And he saw this comment, so he went on Twitter, Charlie Daniels, and he said this on Twitter. Hi, hey, Bloomberg, you know as much about farming as a hog knows about an airplane. So how are you going to teach somebody else how to do it? Better stay in New York City, where corn comes in cans. Vice President Mike Pence, he's often said that he grew up with a cornfield as his backyard, he weighed in on the tweeting as well. He saw that. So he weighed in and he posted on Twitter, Paul Harvey's So God Made a Farmer. I've shared that on this program before. I'm sure you've heard it elsewhere. I'm not going to go through it today, but it's remarkable. Only 
Paul Harvey could have done something that poignant and that meaningful, uh, and he did. So God made a farmer. And if you haven't heard that, it's on the Internet. You can find it a lot of places. Paul Harvey himself, the, the recording of him doing it. It's very, very good. But anyway, Mike Pence weighed in on that. But last night was dedicated to hate. Every debate is about hate for President Trump. Hate cannot unite. Yes, we're supposed to hate evil. We're supposed to hate sin. But hate in and of itself divides. I want to look at a few of the ways that it does. Billionaire Bloomberg replaced billionaire Steyer last night. Steyer was not happy. The irony is that while voters can cast their ballot for Steyer in Nevada, Bloomberg's name is not even on the ballot. But he was there. Very poor showing, as I said. Steyer's campaign was crying foul. They were demanding their guy be given a place on the stage because they said he hates Trump more than Bloomberg does. They were demanding a last-minute change by NBC. NBC said, no, we're not going to do that. So, And they didn't. But as they say, that's politics. But it seems like politics, to me at least, in this era that we live in, have, has gotten so crass. I mean, it always has been. I mean, there's been duels between opposing political um, activists and so on. Former Mayor Pete Buttigieg, he was on a roll. For a guy who was a small city mayor, virtually unknown nationally, he's risen. He's well-known now across the country. Pete has repeatedly embraced and kissed his husband in front of the nation, quoting scripture to affirm his homosexual marriage, the gays, Hollywood, the millennials. They like him. They're sending him money. He's raised a ton of money. They're voting for him. But not all homosexuals appreciate his popularity. There's homosexuals now turning on homosexual Pete Buttigieg. A fairly large segment of the LGBTQ community are publicly claiming that Pete is too white, too masculine, <laughs> is ignoring the transgenders, etc., etc., etc. And they're very public, and they're finding press that will publish their, their feelings. Well, this led Pete to say just the other day, he said, that's why I can't even read the LGBTQ media anymore because it's all, he's too gay. Not talking about Pete. He's too gay. Not gay enough. Wrong kind of gay. He said there's hate everywhere. Well, the gay community is divided. Except in regard to hating Trump. And even Pete hates Trump. Well, he preaches love. Love wins. Yesterday, Daniel Greenfield wrote an excellent article. I refer to it in an article that I wrote today, faithandfreedom.us. You go there, you'll see it. First thing you'll see is the article that we published today. It's read all across the country and in about 40, 50 countries every week. People follow it and read it. I'm honored and humbled, but they do, and I would encourage you to if, if you don't. But Greenfield wrote this excellent article, and I, I quote from it in the article I wrote today about this subject. Greenfield says the Democratic presidential primaries have long been politically correct apology tour. He said Joe Biden was forced to apologize for opposing crime and busing. Bernie Sanders had to offer up media uh, Mia Copas for even being on good terms with the NRA and for questioning open borders. Kamala Harris had to apologize for enforcing whatever passes for the law in California. 
as did Amy Klobuchar, who also had to apologize for having once supported uh, border fencing and English as the country's national language. After jumping into the race, Michael Bloomberg, Greenfield says, launched his own apology tour for trying to stop gang violence with Stop and Frisk for criticizing Obamacare and the easy loans that wrecked the country. No candidate, no matter how lefty, is ever truly pure enough for the party of the perpetually woke. That means informed. Any politician old enough to run for the White House also has a history of believing in things like borders and language and biology and math and law and order and free speech and all the other realities. Only a candidate who has done nothing except chastely spout racial nonsense and hate can pass the purity test. That's why Bernie Sanders, a hack from a minor state who, until being excavated by some Obama campaign people who hadn't gotten a gig with the Clinton campaign, was an obscure nobody who had done nothing except rename post offices in leading the Democratic death march to political oblivion. That's Greenberg, not me saying that, but I agree. Bernie Sanders has never had a career. Truly, he has not, until politics started paying off for him. But in the midst of all of this, there is this thread that runs through everything these people have done or have not done, and it's hatred. Hatred doesn't unite anything, including political movement. It divides. Greenfield wrote in this piece, any political movement that depends on division is inherently fractured. The deeper the divisions become, the harder Democrats hate their common enemy. But underneath the common hatred are a thousand festering hatreds, rivalries, resentments, waiting to break out into interceding welfare. The Democrats are now at risk of winding up with a brokered convention because hate has divided them. And that's a true statement. They probably will. Hatred has hollowed out the Democrats, leaving behind nothing but a great empty void. The primaries are the dark night of the Democrats' soul. The party's soul has fed on poisonous hatred. Mourning, Greenfield says, come has come to America, but mourning may never come to the Democrats divided in darkness by hate. The religious left has a narrative that love wins, but that means love as in compassion as a defining factor of Christianity, not Jesus Christ himself. True Christianity, they say, will love so much that we will choose love, even though it may require revising, bending, and even ignoring scriptures to support that particular behavior. We will not hate. We will love, regardless of how what it takes to get there. Jesus gave us a great truth on that matter in Matthew chapter 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is the context for hating evil. And that's what is lost in the people who are not born again, who do not know Jesus Christ personally. The unifying force in life is a personal, loving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In that relationship, that gives a person the ability to hate the sin and love the sinner. These people live in darkness. They have not been reborn by the power of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, God himself becoming flesh, dwelling among us, giving his life on the cross and rising from the dead. That transforms us in a way that we can hate the sin and love the sinner. And they have not realized that.
Thank you so much for being with me today. It's always a pleasure. I'm honored. Your support is necessary for us to continue. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. I'll see you tomorrow.